0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 111 of the UK Tech Weekly Podcast, the nation's leading podcast for umpires standing on one leg. This week, we're going to be talking about meme marketing, interactive fiction, and whether or not expensive tablets are supposed to be bent. Um, First up, we've got Scott Carey, who has spent Christmas refusing to watch a film just because everyone says he should. Uh, Scott, what is in the box?
2: Happy New Year to you as well, David. Um, Yeah, I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about Bird Box, um, which... uh, If you have been living under a rock, this Christmas period is a new Netflix original movie starring Sandra Bullock. Uh, If you're a Netflix subscriber, this will have been aggressively marketed at you at the top of your Netflix account. Uh, Also, if you're a social media user, you will have come across this hashtag or some of the memes at some point uh, because they pretty much become unavoidable uh, over the Christmas period. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't. I haven't seen the film. Um, I, w- I watched
1: the first twenty minutes of it yesterday, and I thought it was really good.
2: It scared you, though, didn't it? It really
1: scared me. Yeah, um, I, I thought this was interesting, actually. So um, I, we we do move in different circles, I, su- I suspect, Scott. Um, and I, I actually, I think maybe because I kept off social media over Christmas, I wasn't exposed to the to the sheer weight of memes that you were, and I didn't know much about it going in. Uh, I I have seen it at the top of my Netflix queue yeah. that is true, but but from that and from the adverts on the tube whatever I just all I all I got was Sandra Bullock's in it and she's got a blindfold on and that's yeah. it. And so I watched it and and the, like the premise when it emerges, which is very early on. I hope I'm not spoiling anything, but you know the the monsters and you see them and then you go, oh, what the hell is that? You know, yeah. And then you kill yourself. It's so scary. Um, I think you should watch it. Yeah, Although so now I, you won't get the same experience as me.
2: No, nah, I mean, I, uh, I I don't particularly like horror movies. I went to see um, a Silent Place last year, which is a very similar um, sort of premise. Uh, the say is basically the monsters, if they hear you, will kill you, so they have to be silent. Um, it, it was pretty good, and I watched that, um, even though I don't normally watch horror movies. Uh, but what I normally do is I normally read the Wikipedia first, so I won't be too scared because I'm that much for worse. Oh, bless you, Scott. Um, but I've, I've read the wiki on Bird Box and, and as you said, I've been kind of exposed to all the memes and what I wanted to talk about is, is the way that Netflix seems to have this ability now, especially over the sort of festive period where people tend to be kind of welded to their sofas. Um, they have this ability to kind of make hits out of nothing um, because from everything I've read about Bird Box, it, it's not a good film. Like, all the reviews are bad. All the reviews are bad. Except
1: my review of the first 20 minutes.
2: Yes. Uh, generally, most people that I know who have seen it say that it is a categorically bad movie. Um, what I find interesting is that Netflix can turn what is not a great movie into what they would consider an unmitigated success. So they came out um, a week after release. It was released on the 21st of December, which is absolutely prime viewing slot, really. Um for people that get bored of their families at Christmas time. Um, and they said that 45 million accounts had watched Bird Box within the first week of its release. That is a staggering, staggering number. Particularly uh,
1: for a, a purportedly bad yes. film.
2: Um, that, uh They later qualified that that was um, people who had watched at least 70% of the movie, which I think is actually quite, quite a fair um, kind of assessment of people watching it. And and then uh, Nielsen came out and said that the, people who, the amount of people that had watched the whole movie by January 8th, so a couple of weeks after its release, was, was 26 million. If you consider 26 that... 26 million more? No, 26 million possibly. total, watched the whole film. Right, right. Um, what's interesting about that is that a, a sort of a box office, mildly successful box office movie would probably be around between sort of 6 and 10 million um, for its entire run. Yeah, that's uh, stunning though. Netflix really is... Um, just able to kind of turn a mediocre movie into a wildly successful one. And a big proportion of that, I think, is the way that they market movies digitally and this word of mouth um, ability that uh, they're able to kind of push. So as I mentioned earlier, that there was a lot of memes going around because of the sort of the visual idea of the movie where you're wearing the blindfolds, there's a couple of scenes in the movie where um, they kind of lend themselves to, to being kind of mocked or parodied online. Uh, and it just kind of blew up. I mean, on... Oh, one of my favourite ones was uh,
3: the, the caption was something like, my dumb ass. And it was a- <laughs> the other caption was like, someone, a puppy, my dumb ass, removing blindfolds. <laughs> <laughs> <Dying>. <laughs>
2: See, like it just, it, it really... You, you think
1: this is deliberate? That they so, deliberately
2: made themselves memeable. I think that, as Tamlin, you've talked about in the past. I th- I think Netflix is savvy enough to have some sort of data to think, okay, this whole some sort of sensory horror aspect works. If we yeah. put it on the poster, if we, um, basically there there is a theory that. The, that Netflix, someone in the Netflix marketing department pre-made a lot of these memes, had them on their desktop and on December 21st just started pushing them out on social media. Um, Alyssa, I, I think that's
1: completely plausible, actually.
2: Absolutely. So. And why wouldn't they? Yeah. Um, considering their their resources and their know-how about how these things kind of spread organically on the internet.
3: Going to that, that uh, the, the, the fact that they, they might well be monitoring these things. I mean, if you think about the fact that one of us could download an open source Social media monitoring tool and get a good idea of what people are liking and disliking on Twitter or talking about. It's completely plausible to imagine that Netflix, which has all these resources, could just look at this open data and think, right, what are people talking about? What yeah. works? What doesn't? And let's make something around that.
2: Yeah, and it was an existing piece of IP. It was a it was a sci fi novel um, mm. from a few years back that they um, they they transformed into this movie, but they didn't get a particularly big name director or anyone to adapt it. What they did do is they basically put their chips where they knew that they were going to be valuable. Let's get a star that we can put on the poster, Sandra Bullock. Uh, Let's basically go down this route of sensory horror, which seems to do particularly well at the moment with the success of quiet place. And there's another one that I'm blanking on that did quite well last year. Um, and, And then let's just kind of push it out there at the top of our, um, at the top of the app and and see how it does and the results are pretty stunning
3: sort of uh, left field or more original takes on genre movies seem to be a thing that are doing really really well like um, I know Annihilation wasn't made for them but Mm. like it's kind of that intelligent sci-fi thing Um, last year Hereditary came out which was like a sort of smarter horror film rather than just shock scares and such so yeah yeah
2: and you look at what jordan peele's doing with uh, get out and and yeah, yeah. i just watched the trailer for us as well which looks even more down the horror route um it, it, it's definitely a genre that's that's paying dividends and you can you can make these movies on a pretty small budget these days um so sort of going back to the way this kind of spread online um alissa bresnak at the ringer wrote a smart piece where she talked to darren limville uh, he's a professor at clemson university who does a lot of research into like russian bots and botnets and how things spread across social media and and he basically has a piece of software um that can monitor for bot activity and he um ran it for her on the hashtag for BirdBox to see whether there was some uh kind of bot activity in terms of pushing these memes out that wasn't maybe as organic as we thought um he found no evidence of bot activity but what he did find that was that there were nine nine thousand separate accounts that all tweeted out the exact same meme with the exact same typo Uh, which suggests that maybe there might have been some sort of agency or some sort of pr firm that was hired to do what they call astroturfing campaign Mm. um where as i said earlier someone in the marketing department at netflix created a bunch of memes and then a pr agency pushes it out to nine thousand kind of small twitter accounts and then it mushrooms from there
3: i know there are agencies that specialize in gaming reddit basically so they'll just like submit re- memes to the the biggest subreddits like pics or funny yes. or whatever and because they've got uh, the, the know how to do it they push these things up and they're funny enough that they generally get a lot of attention and suddenly you've got a, a cultural in your foot's in the door yeah. isn't it and uh, you, you get you get a lot of attention on one of these platforms then you're going to get repeated on the others like even closed groups in facebook or yep. instagram or whatever It's really interesting.
2: I just, I I find it fascinating because surely from a um, marketing spend perspective, it's a hell of a lot cheaper to do that than to buy a load of adverts on the tube. Mm. Um, And it'll be interesting to see if Netflix continue to go down this route with a few of their select properties that are particularly memeable.
1: Yeah. Well, it's all about the data with them. Yeah, And that that is the sort of aspect of it that, that worries me the most, that they do seem to have approached it as... Uh, a quiet place was successful we put that into our into our you know uh, algorithm and work out which people like that film which aspects of it specifically did they like how can we replicate that and then they do it all the same um and I've, I've heard people say that they chose the name Bird Box because it works for SEO, because it's sort of, it's short and it's identifiable and it works in a meme and in a hashtag and all the rest of it.
2: I mean, it is a great title. Uh, it, it's one, yeah. Except that, that we all call it Turd Box. Well, yeah, that's what you said. Even, even though even none that of us have watched it.
1: Is almost good marketing. Yeah. I remember when the, the Nintendo Wii came out, I said that it was like a genius uh, branding thing because people were going, oh, it sounds like we, as in Pierce. Um and it also had all the rest of it as well because it was like we, not just me. Um, so you are you refusing now to watch this
2: film? You're never no, watch- no, I just haven't had the time. Um, you don't get the fear of missing out thing because I do. No, I do. I want to. I want, want to see it. So I now, yeah, I want to have the context on the memes and I want to be in on that sort of pop culture conversation. I think Netflix have been really good at doing that over the past couple of, especially over the past couple of Christmas periods. So I remember a couple of years ago getting back um, from Christmas and getting back in the office and everyone was talking about making a murderer. Yeah. It was just the absolute, it dominated the cultural conversation. I didn't do it. <laughs> I got really upset.
1: I watched the second series of that. Was it bad? Recently. Was it good? Well, it, uh, it, I mean, it seems to me to be very well made. I don't know how so the same faithful it is. Yeah, yeah, same case. And it's really, really depressing because he gets a new lawyer who's really good and they make no progress. No. I'm I doing a horrible spoiler and going off the um, <laughs> subject completely. Uh, uh, and I can't remember what I was going to ask you next. Um, do you think the marketing, the way they have marketed it, the meme stuff, do you think it harms the actual experience? Uh, of going to see a film that you've already seen key scenes played out you've seen you've seen people undercutting it as well particularly with a horror film and then people show uh, screenshots of something that's supposed to be scary at the time with a joke do you think that spoils it?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I saw one of the memes where um, it's one of my favourite videos on the internet. Where there's a little girl on like her little toy tractor, and she runs over a little brother. Uh, and there's apparently a scene in the movie where someone gets run over, and they say that oh, was just a speed bump. And I now, as soon as they'll be in a car, I'll be very much aware that that is coming up, um, which will take the edge off for me. That's great because yeah. I hate being scared at movies. But um... that's really strange, Scott.
3: <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it sort of a Okay, the spoiler thing is is something to worry about, perhaps, but isn't the idea of all this joining in on the discourse and watching it early so you can share all this stuff kind of like a logical conclusion of just going to see a film with your friends and chatty about it? Mm. You've all got this shared communal experience straight away, which is quite nice in a way.
1: We all want to go back to that thing that we used to have of we all watched Doctor Who last night before we even had, I mean, this is not for you guys, but before we even had VHS. And you just watched it when it was on. Yeah. And then you talked about it and you had three channels and it was ridiculous. And I think people, like, deep down, they miss that and they want to get back into it. I
2: genuinely think at the top level of Netflix, that's what they want. They want to be the cultural conversation. They want their IP or their shows to be the things that people are talking about.
3: And you'd, you'd want to get in there and watch it early if you do enjoy doing that because you... Yeah. A, you don't want it spoiled for you, and B, you want to join in quickly. So yeah. you'd race to watch their new sort of hyped IP, even if it sucks. Yeah, it's he,
2: it's, it's it's as old as, as culture. Like when you know you want to be the first person to listen to the new album by someone, so you could talk about it at school. He had this new cool. Bible that's come out. <laughs> 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 it's in English. Um,
1: do you think that the <laughs> subscription <laughs> model is part of um, the way this works? Because they don't they don't need to. Um, make people go to the cinema or pay money. You're already, you've paid for Netflix at this at this standard rate per month. So you're on there and it's Christmas, you know, like, well, what am I going to watch on Netflix yeah. rather than having to persuade me mm. to watch anything? So they just, whatever they stick at the top, they can steer everybody toward and that's how they can, uh, how did you put it yesterday, steal the cultural conversation.
2: Yeah. And I think what is interesting here is that it is generally at the moment always Netflix. Like it's not, amazon it's not hulu it's not apple yet it's not disney yet the only thing that has any similar kind of cultural impact is a sporting event at the moment like netflix really does until game of thrones comes back in april netflix really does dominate in terms of what people are talking about when it comes to film and tv and i think amazon in particular will be annoyed by that they they want um, people talking about homecoming or Mr. Robot or whatever it is they're pushing at. And it just doesn't seem to be the case. They seem to just not be quite as good at it.
3: I mean Amazon gives it away with their Prime subscriptions, don't they? Yeah. So they've really been pushing it just to make sure it's been on everyone's, you know, device or whatever. And I think yeah. Prime's
2: fine. I like I use Prime and there's some good shows on there, but they they in no way have the same sort of cultural impact as Netflix. It doesn't have the
1: same just put on the television Like the old in the old days you just put on the TV nowadays I just put on Netflix and see what's on Yeah. and I have Amazon Prime and have done almost as long as I've had Netflix but I don't have the same instinct to do it because it doesn't have the same feeling of reasonable quality and reasonable depth no. um, and I can't see Disney doing that either because they will have the quality um, but it won't feel like you won't just go oh, I'll just see what's on Disney you no, have to be specific you'll go in the for a very four. specific thing yeah, and I don't see how they can steer things in the same
2: way no, I did think, I did think it was interesting when I was sat at sort of dinner on Boxing Day, and my little cousin was there, and she's fifteen, so she's not allowed to watch Bird Box, but I'm sure that's not going to stop her. Um, but and I don't
1: don't let her. Pee. <laughs> I, s- I swear, the first scary bit really is. So this is exactly odd. what I
2: said to her. I said to her, um, she was like, "Shit, <laughs> like this sounds like a bad like teen novel," but she literally said to me, "Have you seen the Bird Box memes?" as she was holding her phone and I was like, Yeah, I've seen them. I was like, I haven't seen the movie yet. And she was like, I'm gonna watch the movie. And I was like, Don't watch the movie. It's like it's gonna be It's really bad. It's gonna be scary <laughs> and bad. And she was like, No, I have to it's because very I, and she yeah. was like, I need to know what all my friends are talking about on like on my WhatsApp group. Yeah. And like that that's it. That's that's all you need. You need that fear of missing out. And that's yeah. what they're really good at manufacturing at the moment.
1: They are. Um, we're going to have to stop talking about uh, Bird Box now. Um, but before we stop, we go around and ask a question. Bird Box or Turd Box? I can't really ask that, can you? Neither of you have seen it. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> forget the question. We won't do a question. Uh, we're going to move on in a minute, and we're going to talk about something else on Netflix.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite
1: Uh, Welcome back, and as I said uh, before, it's a bit of a Netflix special this week. Uh, Tamlin McGee, you are, as I know, a huge fan of Choose Your Own Adventure Stories, so how much did you enjoy Bandersnatch? Uh,
3: I wouldn't really say I'm a huge fan of Choose Your Own Adventure Stories for a start.
1: I'm sorry to imply that. I I did have a few of the books books when I was a kid,
3: and I I loved them when I was like, you know, 10 or 11. I, I enjoyed them, you know, but you didn't so much. Didn't have enough fingers to... Keep all the you can't open cheat. To me. You can't cheat. I mean, you can cheat, and I you, did. You should
2: not, anyway. There's, anyway a great, there's a great Goosebumps: Choose Your Own Adventure once. Mm, not read that one. Yeah. Maybe I'll dig it out. Dig it out. Did <laughs> you
1: somehow try and read the Wikipedia for each uh, Wikipedia
2: page for each? I used to read Goosebumps. First. No, that was I could manage. I could say handle Say Cheese and that. Die. That was a good yeah. one.
3: It's so, number uh, three in the Goosebumps series. Say Cheese and Die. Yeah. It's a good one. Though.
2: I'm not sure I believe it's, that, quite, uh, it's quite. It's quite Twilight. Camera. Yeah, it's Twilight only. It's good. I recommend it, love it.
3: Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, I've got kind of a problem with Black Mirror, and as such, I was really expecting to hate Bandersnatch at every possible uh, uh, at every possible level of it.
2: But should we I, very quickly just explain what Bandersnatch is?
3: Yeah, sure. So it's Charlie Brooker's latest in the Black Mirror series. It's kind of a stopgap between the last series and the new one because there's no series this year. It's kind of become a yearly or Twi- uh, once every two years type thing has not it over the yeah
2: netflix paid brooker a load of money to make loads of episodes for netflix um it used to be on channel four right right um so this is a stopgap until the next series and
3: it's a bit of a novelty because it's a or it's marketed as a bit of a novelty because it's a choose your own adventure film uh which is it's a interesting concept but it's not a new one I mean, the, the first choose-your-own-adventure film uh, I learned from Wikipedia today, <laughs> just before we started recording this, was a Czech film from 1967 called Kino Automat. And it's been a format that's been explored uh, in various forms since the 80s. There was How a-
1: did it work in 1967?
3: I, I didn't read that far on the Wikipedia page, I'm uh, afraid. I can talk about the. I'm going to have to
1: go look this up afterwards.
3: I can talk about the later stuff, though. Like, um, there was a. The, the one that really popularized it was an arcade game called Dragon's Lair by a Disney animator called Don Bluth, who did The Secrets of Nim, if you've seen that. And it was a massive hit so it was the first uh, FMV, so full motion video game, where there was really good animation. This was back in the arcades when most things were pixelated and. You know, fun but not very nice to look at. Whereas Dragon's Lair was like really smooth, well animated, and it had a story. Uh, the choices in that were either you succeed or you die, so there were no real forks. It was at yeah. certain points it'd be a quick time event, and if Just you did success. successful failure, successful failure. Yeah, uh, Bandersnatch is also a bit like that, sadly. Uh, I'll try to I'll try to say it without spoiling anything, but um, there were certain moments in it where I wanted. Because I wasn't really enjoying the film so much, to to really choose the most destructive path possible <laughs> and kill the protagonist uh, or ruin his life in any way. I wonder just to, how just many to get other people out of people did that. I, I expect loads of them, but um, sadly,
2: if you if you do that, rather than. Do you reckon Netflix is like logging your choices and like sending it? I was going to gonna get, I was gonna get. I was <laughs> going to get. Maybe cops, I, I was going to get into I that. Bet in they a- would use the
1: data for other things.
3: Though. I was going to get an- into that in a bit. Like one of the most interesting takes on it I've read is that it's a really good opportunity for data mining and seeing what people like and don't like in in terms of um, films or choices people would make. Tamlin McGee likes his own death well, the character's death, because is not very likeable, like, one-dimensional <laughs> and annoying. <laughs> uh, where was I? You're throwing me right off track.
1: Um, but it's you think that it doesn't really work as a genuine uh, a path Splitting path, multiple well, endings, multiple well, that, storylines.
3: That's that's the thing. To do that effectively takes so much time and resources. It means filming loads and loads of different alternative plausible scenarios yeah. that are coherent with the narrative. And so they were limited by the medium in itself. And something that a film does make a point of is going through loads of layers of meta commentary. So it's very much self-aware about that. But... In my view, it wasn't enough to carry it as a viewing experience. Like, I didn't finish it and go, well, I'm really glad that there was some meta-commentary in there, because on the whole, it wasn't a particularly enjoyable experience.
2: Do you think if Brooker can't pull this off, no one can? Or do you not have that amount of faith in Brooker's storytelling? I
3: I miss... So I I think it could be viewed as a black comedy, especially when you pick the most disastrous options. (laughs) Of I found myself laughing at a few of them. A bit psychopathic, but... (laughs) Um, I have a problem with Black Mirror in general in that, like a lot of sci-fi, it tends to be this world, but slightly worse. So when people go, oh, it's just like Black Mirror, that's because Black Mirror is entirely based on this world, but sort of one step ahead. Mm. Um, so it's, it's not that I have particular faith in Brooker's writing. Uh, I think the main problem with it is that a choose-your-own-adventure film is basically a video game, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. And this didn't know whether it wanted to be, in my opinion, a film or a video game. Which, again, was commented on in sort of like meta layers and such. And there was uh, underlying current of deterministic philosophy and such. You know, whatever choice you make doesn't really matter because we're all (laughs) predestined to go along this one narrative path because we maybe ran out of money. I don't know.
1: (laughs) But also, I mean, that is inevitably a part of of all video games is that there will always be some degree Mm. of, um, what's the word, Uh, steering, you know you always in every game you have right. you get to the edge of the map and then there's people saying you shouldn't go that way because we haven't made the graphics for it and there is always a limitation on storytelling mm. because you can't give too much freedom to the observer i agree completely but i think there are some recent
3: examples of uh games that are essentially interactive films where you do feel like you've got agency there's multiple endings they all make sense uh, some notable examples are Heavy Rain, Uh, what's the other one? The latest one is called Detroit Become Human. They're by David Cage at a studio called Quantic Dream. And they are basically on rails, but you do still feel like there's a sense of agency to it. Whereas in Bandersnatch, I felt that A, there wasn't much agency. B, whatever choices I made didn't really matter in the long run, nor did I care. And three... I can't remember what three was, <laughs> but there's a third one in there
1: somewhere. Well, the the problem I think is always going to be that if you if you want to have um, a piece of of art of any kind, then it's somebody's vision. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you say to the person that's consuming that piece of art, it's actually up to you what happens. Mm-hmm. Then you don't have that anymore. It's no longer somebody's vision. It's it's somebody else just picking and choosing whatever they like, and it becomes incoherent. And can you say that though? Because I mean, like, there's there's AAA game titles like The Witcher
3: 3 which are massive open world RPGs where you do have some limited choice in the outcome of the game and yet it still feels like you are that character and there's a real level of immersion and it pulls it off the narrative's great, it's yeah. a really enjoyable experience on every layer whereas I felt that this was a bit gimmicky and not not even a new gimmick as I said because like, there was a big boom in the 90s where like laser discs came out there were consoles that were basically predicated on um, interactive movies, like the 3DO, the Philips CDI. They flopped. Yeah. Uh, Brooker himself used to write reviews for PC Gamer, so I'm sure he is more than aware of this. And there was enough of the, that in the film to suggest that he was aware of this. Yeah. But again, I'm not sure that level of self-awareness and meta-commentary really can carry a title when you don't care about the characters and the decisions you make.
1: Don't really feel like they have any yeah. impacts or, or agency to them. Do you think it's just a question of logistics? That if they had more time, if they had a bigger team, like, like computer game development teams have where they have, was it Red Dead Redemption had like 10 different studios all working simultaneously on different aspects of the game? Totally, but then you get
3: into why not just play a game? Uh, and also like yeah. th- th- those 90s games I mentioned like there's the big ones like Phantasmagoria and Seventh Guest. Uh, they were extremely expensive to create because they did have this forking paths, multiple realities.
1: Sort of yeah, so I was thing. reading about that, and they had they had these these limitations that were forcing them because of what they were doing. Like they had to make it so that the central character was always wearing the same clothes, so you mm. could go back and do things again in the future. Mm. And it would be much simpler to just make a film and and you you have what happens, what you want to happen or don't make it like a like a film at all, I and mean, you make it purely a video game. And when you get this compromise between the two, it doesn't seem to work.
3: And so Ebert, Roger Ebert, the reviewer for the Chicago Sun-Times, said that in a review of a film from the 90s called Mr. Payback, which was... I've not seen it, but apparently it was absolutely awful. I'm sure Brooker put a great deal more thought and effort into Bandersnatch, but he, he said something along the lines of in that review, like, when I go to see a film... I want to be carried along with the narrative, sit back, experience it and be able to think about it rather than have to think about how I want to steer the plot or
1: the narrative to go, if that makes sense. Do you remember with Lost, um, there was was, um, a theory going around, I think it might have been confirmed, that they didn't know how it was going to end. Until they they got to that point. Yeah. So effectively, there were multiple different things. They were like, I'm not really sure what's going to happen. And that really bothered me because it meant that all of the things before, all of the clues were insignificant. They They didn't, they didn't, they they were making up as they went along. It wasn't pointing to some specific ending. And I think, I think
2: that sort of sums up my issue. Counterpoint though is that um, the creators of Breaking Bad came out recently and said that they didn't know how that was going to end when they. (laughs) were writing it, and they would write themselves into corners because it would help them be more creative. So the whole idea of them not blueprinting out an entire show shouldn't disregard troub- the quality it of a me, show. It troubles me more with Lost because it was, because it was, a, was a mystery. Yes, yeah, it was so a, so a mystery were box show. There
1: specifically clues about what's going to happen, and it turns out those clues cannot... Have been like it would not have been possible to work out from the clue what was going to happen at the ending because they didn't know the ending when they put the clues in.
2: Is that just because they didn't write themselves out of that corner particularly well? So say they had explained oh, the polar bear in a way that yeah. satisfied you. I didn't actually
1: watch Lost because, because <laughs> I heard things like that.
2: A lot of people, yeah, a lot of people um, did did abandon the show after about two seasons because it got so reliant on that aspect of it.
3: There, there are like. There are like two main methods for creative writing in general, though, aren't there? There's yeah. like blueprinting the whole thing yeah. out, and there's just writing it
1: long as you go, yeah. and then revising until it's yes. like a coherent, good thing. Um, but but you can't, but you can't revise with a television pro, and that's sort of yes, my, my true, issue: yeah. is you can't go back and change the clues so that they do now correctly point to the path that it's going to take. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, if you have interactive fiction, then anything that happens early on any significance of it, you don't know what's going to happen and you can't, you know, it can't direct you to the end.
3: I, w- I want to say some nice things about Bandersnatch quickly. Please do. Please uh, do. So firstly, I thought it did a really good job of recreating the 80s aesthetic. It was set in 1984. Oh, was it? I didn't the know. soundtrack was brilliant, sort of Tangerine Dream-esque synths and arpeggios. Or you could choose, uh, now that's what I call music too. And just, I've,
1: I haven't chosen that option, but I imagine it would be, you know. I am going to ask at this point. Tamlin, what year were you born? 87. You were born in the 80s. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I will allow you to say it successfully brought back the
3: actor. well I
2: don't really remember ages 0 through 3 but, but yeah and I don't remember ages uh, 1 enough. Uh, also, 1 through 1
3: <laughs> I thought one of the actors is really good the guy who was bullied off Twitter recently I can't remember what for yeah what's his name he's so good
2: um, I'm gonna google him while you keep talking
3: he was he was really really good in it but going back to the aesthetic as well like they did a really good job with even just reconstructing like what book covers looked like or album covers and the clothes that people wore what W. H. Smith looked like from the outside, like they paid a lot of attention to detail on that, which was quite nice. They,
2: I mean, I don't know if the same people were involved, but Black Mirror has proved that it's really good at that already because San Junipero was a really, really gorgeous um, kind of recreation of of a period. Um, mm. So they, the, I think that's the Netflix dollars showing mm. in the in not to discredit Channel Four too much, but they definitely didn't have the budget at Channel Four that they do now, um, and they've shown that their ability to kind of uh, bring production values to the show is, is, is really high
3: well, uh, what was also clear as well is that Charlie Brooker really loves games he's always talked yeah. about that and he, well, used, he used to used to write about them right? yeah and
2: he used to have that show didn't he um, Game game Wipe, wipe. Yeah. yeah and then exactly. Screen Wipe afterwards
3: yeah uh Which, again, like going back to the the meta commentary and the limitation of choice and the fact that it's not a new thing, I'm sure he'd have been completely aware of that. It's just some of the reviews or comments I've been seeing online seem to be hailing it as like an innovative first. I'm sure he didn't think that because it's about a choose your own adventure game if you're going to be that aware Or everything you're making, you'll be aware of. uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of lazy press, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Also, it was genuinely really, really funny. And it made me miss when he was doing comedy as a full-time thing. He's a
2: funny, he's a really funny bloke.
3: There were some Easter eggs in there that I won't spoil, but like, I was absolutely creasing. They were hilarious. That guy's
2: name is Will Porter, and he's excellent.
3: Well, why was he bullied on Twitter? Just because people didn't like him in the show or what?
2: I will find out for you. Uh, the the only th- the other thing I wanted to ask you, Tamlin, was um, kind of do you think the the reaction to this um, shows that there's maybe a bit of a waning um, interest in Black Mirror or a waning because it was a critical darling for a long time. Do you, do you think people's love for it is waning, or do you think this is just a one off because it was a bit of a experimental? I think
3: I think it was a stopgap, and I think the fact that people like me, even though I don't love Black Mirror, were disappointed with it is sort of testament to how much Black Mirror is part of the cultural conversation anyway. Like, everyone knows about it. A lot of people enjoy it a lot more than I do. And, um, yeah, I just didn't carry it off. But um, as far as I know, it was not intended to be a replacement for a series, more just a sort of novelty along, along the way. I feel like Black Mirror
1: shares the um, the thing we talked about previously, that it's very good at injecting itself into the cultural conversation because it's so readily... Um, referable, and I, I don't, I don't think it's consciously so, especially it, in our however.
2: circles, because we spend our lives writing and thinking <laughs> yeah. about technology. That's true. Whenever you're writing
1: about Amazon, you nearly always say this is like a Black Mirror episode.
2: Yeah, I think one of the, I'll
3: shut up, scene I promise. But I think one of the biggest contradictions in it was that it was the through the, throughout the narrative, I felt like it was. Yeah, the, the phrase show don't tell, it was the yeah. opposite. It was telling you everything. The exposition was really, really obvious. There's a kind of cringy scene midway where basically everything gets completely handed to you. And that's a shame. But I also wonder if, because of the medium of a choose your own adventure kind of film, it has to be so overly clear about what's going on in order for that to work. Yeah. So, yeah, like ambitious, I guess. Uh, interesting that they're doing it on Netflix. The data mining point is interesting. I would recommend watching because it it's funny in parts, but ultimately I don't think it really succeeded
2: as a game or a film. I just it. worry about Netflix putting me in the psychopath bucket of their like <laughs> algorithm. Well,
1: if you do start noticing that lots of films about people being killed start appearing in your recommended list,
2: I'm I'm not even a
3: fan of like schlock horror or gory films or anything. I was just so irritated with some of the characters. I was like. Well, if I've got an opportunity to harm you, I'm just going (laughs) to... I almost almost didn't words. hesitate Just straight away.
1: It's almost worse, Tamlin, that you're Is not it... you're not actively seeking his death. You just oh, he's just a bit annoying. You can't even. It's like it's such a small level decision but, for you. But I, <laughs> but I'm not I'm not like that in games. I really struggle to take the
3: evil paths on games like Knights of the Old Republic, mm. Red Dead Redemption Two. I couldn't help but saving everyone. Like, yeah, I'm not re- within this game, did you not hog
2: someone up and put them on the railway tracks like I saw someone doing? I, I right? did,
3: but only with the Ku Klux Klan <laughs> member. So I thought okay, I a okay, free okay. pass on that one. That's
1: acceptable. Um, I am I am gonna have to stop you now. Okay. So I'm really sorry. It's all right. I've um, been wanging on. But that a is, have <laughs> wanged on beautifully. Um, and that's a good summary to finish with as well. And I am, I think I'm going to watch that now. I'm not going to do a question because we didn't do a question last time, but we'll have a quick break and then we're going to talk about
2: uh, iPads. David, Hello. Uh, Hello. apparently iPads are bending or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is the worst introduction. <laughs> One um, bendy boy. <laughs> it's not, ben, it's bendgate gates. Bend gates. That's what people are calling it. Um, they first called it Bendgate back in 2014 when um, the iPhone 6 Plus uh, was found to bend in people's pockets. So people I remember put that. It was their, that in
2: 2014? Uh,
1: yeah. Oh. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, people put it in their pockets and then they sit down and then it would, it would bend and then they would complain <laughs> about this. Um, uh, and then people made videos yeah, where they would uh, apply just f- like phenomenal amounts of pressure and then it would slightly bend and then they would <laughs> complain about that. Was it um, marketed as a feature in the end? Uh, a special curving, flexible phone. Yeah. No, I can't. They they sort of um, they sort of denied it ever happened, really, because it, it, it was so rare. Uh, and I think they they may have implied that it was probably it was the fault of people being too fat. Um, that when they, <laughs> they when they sat down, And it they could have been worse. The phones would have been
2: exploding on their own, couldn't they? So. Well,
1: this is true. Um, but what's happened uh, recently? is that this has started happening with iPads. And so you know there was the new, new iPad. Yeah, so there was a new iPad uh, Pro that was launched in uh, autumn. Um, and it's really thin. It's it's super super thin, beautifully designed, doesn't have a home button. Really expensive. Yeah. Too um, big. Too do you think? I um, think everything's too big. Well, <laughs> that that is a good quote to use. Um but people started saying that they were seeing a bend um after what they call normal usage so we're not we're no longer talking about putting it in your pocket and sitting down or trying to bend it they were just saying oh, i've been using it normally and, and of course with the
2: ipad pro they market it heavily for people to use the stylus and draw on it on like flat surface so i assume you're kind yes. of applying downward pressure
1: uh, i mean yes you are but you're applying such a small amount of downward pressure that i don't think it can be that that was causing it they, they were saying that they were putting it in a bag mm. and carrying it you know on, on a on a trip um and interestingly, I I do have a point of reference to this because I had the 2015 iPad Pro, which is another huge one, which is a bit thicker as well, and uh, and I uh, and I've actually brought it in today to show you guys, um, and it is I never remember which way around it is. Can you can you see that, Tamlin? Yeah, that, bendy. Yeah, it's pretty badly bent, um, but that's because I used to just stick it in my rucksack and sort of just throw the rucksack around, and I wasn't really conscious that it had an iPad in it. And I was very careless. Mm. Um, But it did bend and it still works. And I didn't actually notice the bend until somebody else pointed it out. Uh, It's it's quite an alarming bend. But um, what's happening now is that Apple has come out and they've said it's normal for them to be bent. (laughs) Um, What
2: exactly did they say, though? Okay,
1: right. So um, let me get the quote. Uh, Hold on. Uh, They said that there would be that some some new iPad Pro devices may have um, subtle deviations in flatness, (laughs) (laughs) which is um, which is just such a beautiful. (laughs) Um, dystopian way of looking at it. I don't know why
3: people continue to give them money because they've just had a track record of doing this sort of thing, haven't they? And well, um, when the iPhones years ago weren't working, and Steve Jobs was like, "Yeah, we'll issue you little rubber rubber bands
2: you can put on them." No, but that's Wait, that's yeah. only a subtle deviation in the truth. So oh, that's true. That's one.
1: <laughs> I want. Right, I want to give you the proper, the full, the full quote. The new straight edges and the presence of the antenna sp- splits may make subtle deviations in flatness more visible only from certain viewing angles oh my God. that are imperceptible during normal use. These small variances do not affect the strength of the enclosure or the function of the product and will not change over time through normal use.
2: So what,
1: so what they're saying is it doesn't bend more when you use it. It was bent in the first place, but only a little tiny bit. And they're bit. also saying you won't notice unless you look at it with your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> from, a, or from a particular angle. Um, <laughs> you just put me in no context, that's unbelievable. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I have to explain that. We have a, a, a Slack channel for things that sound a little bit rude. And uh, Scott has put me in there for some reason. Um, what did he say? What did he quote you th- It was a thing about... What was it a thing about? But I'm
2: concentrating on doing my job
3: here, so... <sighs> this, yeah. Um, oh, it was. Which is another huge one that's a bit thick as
1: well. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> good. Very good. Um, yeah, so the interesting thing. So you say that Apple has a track record of messing That's up and then, being, and then being annoying about it. But it doesn't really. That's the thing. It's, it's a very... It um, happens three times. It's happened loads of times, but it's very... <laughs> it, it, there's been it's, a sort but of, it doesn't. There's a variation in the way they've approached it. So, yeah, as you said, uh, Steve Jobs, that it was the iPhone 4. Uh, they called it Antenna Gate because journalists are uh, so annoying. We can only do gate things. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, so when you, <laughs> when you held the iPhone 4, um, you dropped out calls. Basically, you couldn't really talk to people on the phone. Uh, and somebody emailed Steve Jobs about this and, he, and he, he replied to them and said, you're holding it wrong, which is simultaneously such a waste of his time and also <laughs> needlessly stupid and rude. But yes, as he said, they subsequently admitted it was a problem and they gave people um, bumpers, they called them, little rubber bits that go around the iPhone.
3: Did they actually do anything, those bumpers? Yeah, they, they, they well,
1: they, it solved the problem, but it also made them not look as nice. Mm. Um, So, yeah, back in Steve Jobs' day, they were were really quite arrogant and um, almost aggressive um, about these problems. And they they wouldn't really admit that it was a problem. But then Tim Cook came in and and took over. Uh, And under Tim Cook, Apple has been much more humble about it. And and when there's been issues, then they've said, you know, like with their software, uh, with Apple Maps, they said Apple Maps isn't really... You know, good enough it's not it's not working as well as we wanted we're going to improve it and they and they got much better about it mm. so that's why this comes as a, as a shock is that people it's so basic that people are getting um you know thousand pound tablets and they're bent and then not only are they you know it's like oh, that's, that seems like a simple straightforward sorry they're bent here's a, here's one that isn't bent and, you know, whatever. But they don't. They go, well, it's bent, but that's how we can, it's supposed to be. We can confirm that it. it is, in fact, bent. <laughs> exactly. Hope it you can a deal with it. subtle deviation yeah. of flatness. So, um, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the week in um, Apple scandals. I have to say, as I always do, whenever we have one of these Apple scandals, that nobody else gets the same crap that Apple does. And if, you know, if a Huawei tablet was bent then there wouldn't be the same attention to it and you know we wouldn't be talking about it so it isn't totally fair but it is disappointing to hear them refer to this problem which is a legitimate problem uh in such a, a euphemistic way um but i think that is um enough chat for one week uh, and that brings us to the end of this episode it's of good the good to be back though isn't it Take really podcast, it is it's, um, it's
2: <laughs>
1: it is it is good to be back. No, you're absolutely right. Let's be positive about this. Um, until next time, next week. Yeah, I hope so. Um, CES depending stuff on our probably. Yeah, we can talk about CES next week. Yeah, we'll week. have
2: the CES crew back from Las Vegas. That's brilliant. That Dildos. Means we don't have to do yeah. it. Dildogate. Dildo yeah, Dildogate. Uh, so if you want to hear about Dildogate, if you want to know what that's all about, tune in. Uh, and until then, that's in what we call in the biz a tease. Uh, we've never done a tease
1: before, no. as far as I'm aware. This is exciting. Uh, until next Teasing time. <laughs> <laughs> will you please stop her? Stop. Um, can you say goodbye? Bye. See you. Bye-bye. UK Tech Weekly Podcast.